Hi, I'm Dr. Amy Robbins, and welcome to Life, Death, and the Space Between podcast. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist and medium, and here we explore life, death, consciousness, and what it all means. Today, I have such a treat on the show. I just finished the book, as I always try to do, um, but we have Sensei Koshan Paley Allison. He's an MFA, L-M-S-W, D-M-I-N, author and Zen teacher, Jungian therapist who has devoted his life to the study and application of psychotherapy and Buddhism. After a decade working as a psychotherapist, Koshin co-founded New York Zen Center for Contemplative Care. The nonprofit center offers contemplative approaches to care through education, care partnering, and Zen practice. His book, Untangled, Walking the Eightfold Path to Clarity, Courage, and Compassion, is a welcoming guidebook to finding expansive ease and joy through the Eightfold Path, one of Buddhism's foundational teaching. Welcome, Koshin. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be with you. So in just reading the book, I felt deeply connected to you, to your story, to your vulnerability, to your honesty, to your humanness, in terms of how you explored these concepts and integrated Buddhism and life in a very real practical way. I think the thing that resonated maybe the most with me was when you talked about your love of Apple products still in the midst of being a Zen Buddhist. Uh, I think we often kind of separate, like you can't, you can't have that if you you know, practice in a certain type of way. So I really, I really appreciated that. But your book is titled Untangled. What does it mean to be tangled? Well, to me, tangled is what we all know. It's when we're living in a story and a situation where we feel anxious most of the time, overwhelmed, just a sense of dis-ease. And I think that many of us live like this on just under the surface of what we think is going well. Mm. And it's almost like if we just keep moving in our distraction, if we keep moving in our various addictions, even to shopping or whatever it is, or our addiction to no silence, you know, we often think of addictions as to drugs or alcohol, but I, you know, my friend Judd Brewer often reminds us we can be addicted to our own anxiety. And it's because we're, we're often afraid to actually slow down because when we slow down, we start to feel that tangle. We start to feel like, oh, like underneath it all. Oh, you know, to really learn how to slow down and to feel what's hard. So learning to do that to be in the tangle is, you know, as you were talking about, is what's also known as in Buddhism as the first noble truth of suffering, or you could say that's truth of being tangled, that we have this as a beginning place of change. And I think that I remember being around 10 years old and sitting, we had something called the encyclopedia. Pedia Britannica, which used to be these actual books. <laughs> I loved those books. I remember a kid's version. My parents probably still have them in their house, but oh, did I love those. Amazing. 
And I remember reading like the section about Buddhism and it had the four noble truths. And the first one that said was that life has suffering. And I remember thinking and saying out loud, thank you. There was just something so real about that part of life is that tangle, you know, and there's an early teaching that has always been important to me. What says the whole world is tangled in a tangle. Mm. Who will untangle this tangle? And I just remember thinking, wow, it's up to me. It's up to each of us learning how to untangle it bit by bit. So how do you see Jungian psychology kind of walking parallel to this in some way? Or do you see it that way? As you were just talking, that's what came to my mind. So one of the teachings of Carl Jung that I've always appreciated very much where he says, you know, our work is to be in the time of our life. You know, Mm. these days we talk about being mindful or something like that, but there's something even more powerful about being in the time of your life. But that's the work itself. And so to me, the tangle and the causes of the tangle and learning how to pivot is also what brings us back to what Jung is saying, is saying, how do I actually be here? I think these different identities we kind of put on top of ourselves, as opposed to having experiences, take us away from actually being present to where we actually are, to being in the time of our life. That seems different to me than being mindful. For me right. too. And and I'm also just too. I'm I'm just thinking about when I've had those experiences. We're coming off of Thanksgiving week. I was just in Paris with my daughter and I took her for her 16th birthday and I had these moments where I realized that I was so in that time of my life, you know, where you're just so in it and then you get out of it and you're like, okay, how do I get back into that? So how do we do that in our everyday life? What does that look like? How can we return? Because sometimes I find when I'm in it, I don't realize I'm in it until I'm out of it. And then I have the perspective of like what that felt like. Earlier in my life, you know, I felt so tangled up and so it was like really almost painful to be where I was because I didn't know how to kind of emerge from my story. I didn't really know how to do that. So at that time, what it looked like was dedicating myself to a process so that I could experience being in the time of my life. I knew that it was a journey to go on. It would, it would take work and cultivation. The Zen tradition, you know, they often say, if you want to work with a practice, do it fully for 30 years and then evaluate how it's going. (laughs) (laughs) And so American, you know. (laughs) Right, totally. 30 (laughs) years. Instant gratification. Yeah. And because now we like try something once and we evaluate whether it's good or not. Well, and I'm sure you probably hear that all the time, right? Like I tried meditation. It doesn't work for me. Right. And they usually have tried it one time or Mm -hmm. they went once to somewhere. And what I love about that 
view is it's saying it takes time to undo our habits because mostly how we're evaluating is ways to keep us inside mm. of that old pattern. Mm-hmm. So what we're saying, we like it or we don't like it or whatever that is, is often more related to staying where we are, which is usually not so comfortable and yet comfortable for our sense of it's known. I'd rather mm-hmm. be feeling crappy because I know crappy. Right, right. But learning how to to actually learn, which I learned as a young person when I started learning karate, where my karate teacher used to have us sit in meditation on our knees on a hard floor, which is, you know, also not so typical. Now we sit in a nice cushion or on a couch or something. Right, like if <laughs> you took like your kid to on your knees a... with your feet underneath. <laughs> Parents would complain, right? Like if they took their kid to a karate class and the kid had to be on their knees on a hard floor, the parents would be calling saying like, how could you do this to my poor Susie? <laughs> and what was amazing about it is that that didn't happen. And the teacher used to circle us really slowly and say that you'll never be free until you can be still with your pain. Wow. And actually, I feel like that was the superpower Mm. we were learning. And to me, that is truly how we untangle. We learn how to sit with, oh, my goodness, this is so uncomfortable. I'm so awkward. I'm so overwhelmed. And learning to sit with whatever that is, with our shoulders up to our ears, and we're like, oh, and learning how to say, oh, okay, I can be with this. And I remember sweating, sitting there, sweating. Oh, oh this is so painful, so painful, so painful. And then suddenly you relax. You start to learn how to relax in the midst of pain and discomfort. Mm-hmm. Like something just happened. When you start to think about how many ways people seek to avoid that in all the areas of their lives, and you talk a bit about this, we move towards courage, clarity, and compassion is kind of what this path moves us towards, right? Yes. But I feel like we can never really be clear or compassionate or courageous at least in my own experience, until I'm willing to sit with that discomfort and find what else is true. Because if we're so busy running and just trying to fill up our lives, there's not a lot of freedom. And learning to sit with it and to say, wow, I feel terrible. And it's kind of a nice day outside. We learn how to feel deeply what we actually are feeling like oh, i feel really overwhelmed and i feel like that's what was the main learning for me about freedom Mm -hmm. is that it's not often what we think it is although that could be fun but it's you know i think that it's often to me pleasure and real pleasure is actually not being enslaved by any thought or feeling. And is that where the notion of 
sort of letting go of suffering comes in is that and how meditation fits in with all of this is that you do just begin to recognize all of those thoughts and experiences as not you well they're you and not you i think that's where the freedom comes like you just notice like when you're sitting in meditation it's so interesting because just things arise and fall it's not like you don't even have to be thinking about anything you just thoughts emerge feelings emerge Mm -hmm. you know and that's why many times we get so caught in my feeling or my thought but what's so interesting because you're you know this podcast called the space between the space between is who's thinking who's feeling so what is it about courage clarity and compassion those virtues that are what we should strive for well i'm so interested in freedom as someone who grew up and an environment with really amazing people with great values whose actions did not match a lot of times those values. Can you speak a little about, you talk about it in the book, but could you speak a bit about your upbringing? Yeah, so I was raised by second generation immigrants and refugees um, from Eastern Europe. And as is common with any kind of migrant and refugee communities, and also many of them died in the Holocaust, as common with epigenetic trauma, often that's passed down, like people don't know how to deal with anything. There is a lot of trauma that is passed down. And I also experienced that myself, which was came in the forms of physical violence, emotional violence and sexual violence and which i experienced which was horrific you know which was terrible and you know and for a long time i kind of identified as the victim of those things and that was the reason that i didn't trust anyone and i had good reasons in many ways to not mm-hmm. trust even when the people seemed nice I was so dedicated to this path that was about that. And I realized that at a certain point, I was so closed. So in a way, like that's where I was very much like the people in my family, like my Mm -hmm. what I said I was about Mm -hmm. and what I was actually doing didn't match up. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Really didn't match. And I think that's always a great thing for all of us to reflect on. I find it super helpful for myself and for the people that I have the privilege to work with. I always, you know, encourage them also to reflect Mm -hmm. because I know for myself, it feels really good when it matches. (laughs) Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. When we have all these symptoms, I was listening to a continuing education just this weekend. And one of the things that the doctor was talking about was how we can use our depression or anxiety as a messenger of what we aren't listening to, of what is off in our lives, rather than seeing it as like a symptom that we have to treat, you know, these six things, really saying, okay, am I being honest with myself about where I am, how I'm feeling and what I'm doing? And so that's exactly where we come back to clarity, being clear. 
Like, am I being clear about my story? Am I being clear about what I'm actually doing? Just to be clear, which to me requires lots of humility and a healthy sense of humor. Like, wow, I'm such a jerk. (laughs) The willingness to take that kind of sense of responsibility. I have my favorite, um, like, gif when I'm being an asshole about something that I send, which is Elmo burning in hell. Like, there's just, like, this picture of Elmo when he's, like, screaming and, like, fires behind him. And I'm like, that's where I'm going, like, when I'm just being not my best self. And I'm like... Wave to me on the way up as I'm going on the way down because there, I think that's the beauty of being human. Totally, totally. And so, like that kind of clarity is just essential. And to like also part of that clarity inquiry is to say like, well, where's the areas like I don't want to admit, and what what don't I want to see? Mm-hmm. And I love asking that myself that question. And don't be deceived. Like we, how we deceive ourselves, another good question for ourselves. Like, how am I deceiving myself right now? Mm. Are there areas that I'm like not really wanting to face the music here? So this is all part of clarity. Then I feel like what is so critical is to have courage, which means to be with heart. It's not enough to be aware. I always think of, You know, that kind of clarity is essential. You know, awareness is essential 0.0001%. Because I feel that many of us can say like, oh, I know that's my stuff or, you know, I know my stuff or Mm -hmm. it can still stay pretty heady. Yeah. And so that courage to be like, okay, this is hard and humbling and I'm going to be courageous through it. I'm going to be lion-hearted through this and to guide myself where it's like when it's really uncomfortable and I'm going to keep going, you know, I'm going to I'm going to move. You know, courage to me has so much energy. We need the energy of that mm-hmm. to because we're going to be afraid and uncomfortable. To me, Mm -hmm. the things that are guaranteed, you're going to be uncomfortable. You're going to feel awkward. It's going to be icky. It's going to be overwhelming at moments. Mm -hmm. And yes. And so courage is like, okay, that's given. So when that arises, I'm going to summon some courage to say, yes, this is arising. I'm uncomfortable. So to me, it's a very embodied courage Mm -hmm. so like first we kind of working more with our brain and our mind and our mental state and then courage brings us really into our body and then compassion means to suffer with you know and to me it's like that is the sweetest most powerful thing you know it's very popular these days to talk about self-compassion which I have like a, a mini campaign against because it's like compassion's enough. You know, it's actually the, what's beautiful about compassion is actually about connection mm. and connecting to mm. others. Mm. And it's just so interesting that self-compassion has become so popular because it's just another way for us to stay isolated mm. and lonely. Mm-hmm. 
so compassion for me is like that suffering with which is to me the beginning of love which is mm. to realize like oh isn't it amazing that we exist and that you struggle with things and i struggle with things and it's a kind of a miracle we can look at one another Mm -hmm. It's kind of amazing that we can actually be alive in this world. And compassion is to suffer with is like, yes, we all go through things. And which to me is also the foundation of belonging. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That we belong in such a deep way that we often think like, oh, I don't belong and I live alone. And, you know, there's these crazy statistics recently. I think it was like 54% of people over 50 living alone now and you know there's just this sense of lack of belonging and before the coronavirus there was a loneliness pandemic which is still surging and so really learning how to like enter your own neighborhood in a different way to notice you know often you know, some of my Zen students will ask me, like, how's my practice going? And usually my question is, well, tell me about the name of your post person and the grocery store checkout person you see most often. David is my checkout person. <laughs> but it, it's so amazing, you yeah. know, and it reminds me of what actually you and I were sharing about before how someone treats waiters and they'll mm -hmm. tell you about how kind they are and so i think in many ways compassion is like to be interested in the the space between you and other people and so how you really nurture that relationship with your very foundational relationships where like the checkout people and the people we actually depend on I'm finding it to be increasingly difficult to find people who are willing to be truly vulnerable, who are willing to say, you know, friendships, like I'm, I'm not having the best day today, or like I am really struggling with X, Y, and Z, like the facades that seem to keep going up and up and up despite this feeling these feelings of loneliness and disconnection it's hard to watch and i feel it personally i think too it's like i just want to connect with my friends and it's like how are you fine how are your kids great you know and it just feels it feels disingenuous because i know that can't be the case because i know that's not the case for me so it it just how do we how do we break through that because they're human right 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 <laughs> come well, on don't well, tell me you didn't get an email from your kid's teacher at some point this year <laughs> right right i felt like that i had to share how i struggle and work mm -hmm. with that struggle mm-hmm and so I'm very interested in that vulnerability. And I feel like that it's an easy thing to write about, you know, suffering and the end of suffering, which is actually what the book is about in many ways, or how to untangle that, right? How it's a process. And I felt it was an ethical responsibility for me to actually walk the walk, you know, mm -hmm. to, I'm really interested in a sense of depth 
And actually what you describe is what I've been hearing a lot of where people are like, I don't know who would really show up for me. You know, my friend Taruna Lodog, who she is a primary care physician among many things. She said that she asked her patients on their first visit, like, tell me about the five people who would show up for you right now, no matter what. Mm. And she says she's noticed in the last like 20 years, like now people are like, my sister, well, she's busy. She's, you know, she's got a lot on her plate. And, and she just like, find your five. And so I think that many ways it's so important to recognize like, wow, I really don't have my peeps, you know, like mm -hmm. my people who will be there and start with one. And to me, this is goes back to compassion and really learning how to say, because showing up for others is also how you, they learn to trust. Yeah, I think to back to your point about how we learn self-compassion is is really through recognizing that you wouldn't you know berate your friend for staying in a relationship longer than they should or um you know making a bad choice in careers you know you would give them compassion and sometimes i think about how how many times my friends will listen to me and i the same for them you know work through the same thing over and over again, right? Therapy, we do that all the time. And it's just kind of starting to see it through these different lenses. And it's like, but sometimes we beat ourselves up over that same practice or experience. Totally. We have to practice learning how to have relationships that are meaningful. Let's just touch on a few of the path. What I liked about all of them is that they're not, they don't, they're not separate from our everyday lives. They're integrated into how we live. It's not like you practice and then you go back to living. It's you're living the practice. One thing. So are there, is there one or two you'd like to just pick to speak about? I want to get to mystery for sure. There's something really powerful about seated meditation in the midst of our life that we're actually, because for me, I just felt very inspired by it, you know, in our conversation about how can you be in the time of your life. And to me, seated meditation everywhere is a place of practice, that being with your kids is a place of practice, being feeling alone is a place of practice, you know, all of those things are places of practice if you're in your seat. Mm. And what I mean by seat is that you're feeling grounded and you're literally feeling the ground, like whether you're standing in the grocery store or at the ATM or wherever you are. And really coming back to, you know, I kind of went through this a little bit before, but I feel like just always good to review and like feeling the breath in your lower belly, just below your belly button, just to feel that get a little bit soft. And are my shoulders open? Is my spine upright? These are things that, these are the basic posture recommendations for Zazen, which is seated meditation in the Zen tradition. And yet for me, they are incredible guidelines for an attitude 
toward a life of practice and adventure. Life has meaning, but the meaning you make in your life. Mm -hmm. And so for me, the posture of how we hold ourselves creates the container for living clearly and in the time of our life. This is my problem is I want to like take classes from every single person I interview. I'm like, oh gosh, never going to never, I'll never stop learning. And, and how do you see mystery or, you know, you talk in the end of the book about enlightenment. How do you define enlightenment and what's the path of mystery in life? I like the word enlightenment as a word. Enlightening, it's actually to bring in light. People think often that it's a state. And there are some people who believe that they are in a constant state of that, which I don't even know how that's possible. Like if you, how can you be in the state if you believe you're in the state? I've met people who told me that they were enlightened. So I don't know what that means. And I do think that some people want that. They have this fantasy of even meditation practice that they're going to be in this bliss-filled state, but that's not what meditation is offering. The enlightenment that, or I like actually the word enlightening, the activity, like what are you engaged in that actually helps bring in light and clarity and courage and compassion. And so to me, it's more enlightening activity where, yeah, I'm where my values and my actions are really together. Mm-hmm. where I'm feeling really clear. And like right now, I feel like this is enlightening activity. This is bringing in and exploring what is true for me, connecting with you, mm-hmm. connecting to the all of the people who are listening. You know, And it feels like everything else has fallen away. It, that's my experience right now. Like there is nothing else but this conversation that's happening right now. You're in the time of your life. Mm-hmm. So it's like a moment, right? It's like the moment when you're in that experience and you can't cling to it. It just, how do you, but we can cultivate the conditions mm-hmm. where that tends to arise more, which is why I think kind of stopping and grounding and softening and opening and uprightness are so helpful because they help create the conditions where you can be more curious and engaged. So I have a question because you sit with a lot of people as they move towards their physical death. What what do you see at that time? Like, what has that been like for you to walk beside someone as they exit their physical body? It has looked like the faces of each of those people and as different as each of those people has been. To me, like that's the the most amazing thing is that each person is so specific. You know, while Mm. they're alive until they're dead, they have that in common. Mm -hmm. And and the other thing that actually maybe is the most common is that I've never met someone, and this is after many, many people who was happy that they held back and lived a life of most regrets are because they didn't step forward in their Mm -hmm. life. They weren't courageous or as courageous courageous. as they wanted to be. 
And most of them were pretty, most people when push comes to shove are very clear. So they have the clarity, but most people regret the lack of courage and compassion. Mm. You know, I never thought about that, that subtitle until right now <laughs> in this way, but I think that's exactly what is often missing and causes the greatest regret. I remember the experience I was working with a student who were training in contemplative care in our foundations program. At. I just read it right before we got on. This is amazing. Tell the story because this this really yeah. is is something. It's not always what you think. <laughs> and so this man's dying wish was to to see his daughter again. And so it became like this, oh my God, this like big thing. They were very estranged and it was very difficult, but you know, my student was able to coordinate it. And she was so excited that finally the daughter like didn't want to come, didn't want to come, didn't want to come, and then finally decided I'll come, but I'll stay for five minutes. Okay. And so when it came, it was like a big deal on the floor, and people were like, Oh my god, they finally this big reconciliation. And she went in and it's I can't. I don't think it used all the profanity that she used, but she basically went in and just like gave it to him about what a horrible father he was. Mm -hmm. She left and my student like ran and was like, oh my God, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. And he said, I'm not. The truth is I was a terrible father. Mm. I, didn't, I didn't protect her. And my wish is that somehow her be able to say them to my face might release her a little bit mm. from it eating her alive. Talk about courage. Yes. On both their parts. Totally. Totally. I mean, it was, um, it was really amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. And that and was, to a, me, it was, that was pretty profound when I read that. Cause you're like hoping, right. You're reading it. You're like, Oh my gosh, it's going to be this. She's going to come in. They're going to have this moment. And, and I think it really, <laughs> right. I think it really speaks to when I, I interviewed um, Rabbi Steve Leder. Do you know any of his work? And he mm. talked about like people die like they lived and that there's often these, these beliefs that people are going to have these like epiphanies as they move towards death. And suddenly they're going to like apologize for everything they did. And that's not usually what happens. And I think this is like the experience of that is he was able to really say, I was terrible, like to acknowledge that, but not to try to change what was. And to me, like going back to your earlier question about the mystery, it's like I added, you know, well, conventionally there's eight folds in the path and I added a ninth, which is mystery. And to me, it's like that interest in the unfolding, like who knows, like we often overvalue what we think is going to happen and like send out like a giant carpet unrolling in front of us so that everything stays known and knowable. And to me, the beauty of life is to allow ourselves to find our ground wherever we are, to have a sense of wonder and awe and incredible beauty. And it's so amazing to be able to say that. Well, Koshin, thank you 
so much. This was, this was fantastic today. I really loved this. It was a good way to, when we started and I was like, kind of blue getting back into life. This definitely uplifted me. So the book is called Untangled, Walking the Eightfold Path to Clarity, Courage, and Compassion. And where else can people find you? Yeah, so they can find me at the New York Zen Center, which is zencare.org or on Instagram at New York Zen Center or my Instagram is Coach Haley Ellison. Thank you so much for your time today, for your wisdom, for enlightening us. And I wish you a wonderful few weeks of Caribbean Sea. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. Like what you heard today and want to hear more? Wondering what comes next and what it all means? Head over to Apple Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere you get your podcasts and hit subscribe. Also, if you could take a minute to rate and review my podcast, I would really appreciate it. Stay tuned as we continue to explore life, death, and the space between.